Hello and welcome to Casting Nets, a podcast about real life and living faith. I am Pastor Dave Rudat. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. We introduced a new host and a new podcast and a new guest last time. The topic is depression. The new host was Pastor Peter Hagen, who is serving in Maumee, Ohio, Resurrection Lutheran Church, and also a host of his own podcast called Raised with Jesus. You can uh, Google that, Raised with Jesus, or you can uh, look on the web, raisedwithjesus.com, to find it. And he has a daily podcast, and so we are trading information. So we had our Leviticus podcast that we traded with him. There were some other podcasts that we had done that we uh, traded with him, gave him our content, and he put it on his podcast for as many people as possible to listen to the wonderful content that Wells Pastors and Wells Audio uh, provide. So whether that's uh, from a uh, pastor or whether it's from a presenter for a conference, all of those things are aggregated on the Raised with Jesus podcast. New, new information, new stuff every day, but not always from the same person. So you are, if that's something that interests you, Go to Raised with Jesus. But today we are the second part of the discussion on depression with Karen Fisher. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, castingnetspod, P-O-D, at gmail.com is our email address that both Will, uh, Pastor Will Harley and myself read. Uh, you can see us in person at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley or St. John Church in Maribel. You can go to our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page, Casting Nets Facebook page that you can find. And uh, we'd love to continue the conversation that are, that we are beginning here today. So to separate guilt, guilt is very important, right? It tells you you've done something against your moral code. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be there. It's part of your conscience. It's built in. God gave it to you for a reason. So if that's true, you need to look at guilt and say, okay, what is it that guilt's trying to tell me? Guilt's trying to tell me I did something wrong. What do I do as a Christian? Objective forgiveness. I'm, I, I go, I confess, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. And I understand that the price is paid for that. Shame is, mm-hmm. in my opinion... Shame is what the devil does to make you question that. That he, that you wander around in shame saying, I don't know if I'm forgiven. I feel unforgiven. I'm not feeling it today. I'm, uh, I'm feeling out of sorts. And then, and if I'm forgiven, why do I feel this way? Feelings aren't facts. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So yeah. then guilt and shame. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a couple little boys that are, at home and you know, they're, they're young and fantastic and wonderful. Um, but it kind of highlights for me as a parent who is raising young children. Um, how do we teach these children? First of all, um, properly about guilt and shame so that they know how to talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but then secondly, how do we use those properly as parents in, you know, teaching a, a moral code as well mm-hmm. as forgiveness? Mm. So it's really guilt, shame, parenting, and talking about feelings, I guess. Mm, feelings. Okay. Let me think through that. So I, I have less experience with children, but I'll try and maybe extrapolate it out 
into adolescence because that's what I spend more time with. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. So similar, I have very similar conversations about guilt and shame with adolescents. They can understand it usually. Um, it's a little mind blowing usually for them, but, uh, but they can understand it. I think, um, one thing that I did notice, um, is that you, I think we want to be careful to even developmentally what we teach and when we teach it. So I was having a conversation with um, a high school principal, Christian high school. And I said, you know, what I've noticed is I see more sophomores than any other class. And I'm curious um, which religion class they have. And universally it was old Testament. Um, and so what I've, what I've noticed is um, those who have some mental health challenges, um, will pick out from the Old Testament what they want to see. And what do they tend to see? They tend to see judgment. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's not the intention and I know mm-hmm. that's not the curriculum. I know that there's a lot of grace and, and, and things in the Old Testament, but when you're looking through the blue color, colored lenses, um, you'll pick it out sooner. So that's one thing I think developmentally that I've noticed, at least in teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in children, right, I think maybe one of the things to be looking for is, um, that, well, don't they, don't they just do what we do? Just magnified, right? Yeah, they have less of a filter and less of a mask for hiding it. <laughs> right? Um, so, so again, if you're, I'll, again, on that DHS sheet, it'll be real helpful. There's some growth factors or things that we know in families and communities and individually that we know are important to good mental health and, and reducing or appropriately dealing with guilt and shame. So some of them are modeling, right? Mm-hmm. If I can see other siblings modeling that or parents modeling it, the, the typical, okay, why did you hit your sister? some empathy building, mm-hmm. right? And then that is wrong to hurt your neighbor. You will apologize for that. And you sister will forgive your brother for that. Right. And the modeling of that, right. Very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess hand in hand with that, um, that there are times where a parent says, you know, that was wrong of me to speak that quickly. And I'm sorry. Yes, please. And, um, mm-hmm. and I know that it hurt your feelings, but uh, can you forgive me? Yes, please. We do that a lot, in the, especially with the adolescents, um, where there's a lot of family turmoil, a lot of modeling of adults to young adult forgiveness. It's huge um, for them to see it, right? That empathy and connection. Yeah. And and I guess that really, really does touch on the openness of the parent, um, which you know, as a Christian, we recognize, and hopefully, hopefully, the Christian parent does. Uh, recognize that he or she stands, you know, firmly on the forgiveness of Jesus. And what do I have to hide if, if I know that, um, I'm with fellow believers here mm-hmm. and they sin and I sin and we can all confess it clearly. Um, that's really interesting though. <laughs> but mm-hmm. then the, the other, the other one that I had noted here was, um, was, you know, pastoral, I do, I do pastoral counseling, um, as well, which is, which is fairly, fairly basic. And I recommend, uh, the MAP program, um, that telehealth that you had talked about. I recommend that a lot and we've made good use of that. Um, but one of the comments that kind of sticks in my mind from an older pastor, this was probably eight or 10 years ago already 
was that he had noticed a shift between, you know, shifting from private confession absolution to what we now call pastoral counseling. And I was wondering if you could, um, could speak to that relationship and the pastor's role as kind of the, mm. the spiritual shepherd in mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Um, here's where Catholicism has a leg up. <laughs> Is what I'll say to that. Um, uh-huh. because, cause that, that practice of, um, individual confession and absolution is so, um, meaningful. I think, um, it's so personal. Um, it's, I'll do that often. I'll get out a hymnal, um, in session and do that with people individually, um, who are prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. An understanding of that. Not everyone is, but, um, but the the freedom of that that single proclamation looking me in the eye or being across from me in prayer with that um imagine the just the emancipation that is like the freedom that that is and for most people you know struggling with mental health challenges whether they're brought on biologically or chemically or environmentally or through trauma it doesn't really matter um grace has been a problem right they feel very undeserving Mm-hmm. almost unilaterally. And so when you have an absence of grace, um, where is there room to, 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 to feel like you have, um, hope or worth? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's the, that's the beauty of Christian counseling and therapy is you get the marriage of what we know we can only find in God. We can't just carve it out and say, okay, go get that on Sunday. Right. Like, um, that that grace is the game changer. I always say that that um, no matter what, I everybody else is shifting sand. If I tell somebody they're good, that's me telling them they're good, and they can dismiss that. If their if their sibling tells them they're good, if their parent tells them they're good, they can dismiss that. Just like we talked about, you know, at the beginning, what is their perception of that? Um, yeah, rationalize it away. Yep. And but God's love is unfailing, and if if you can pronounce that to someone. What a huge gift, right? And my, my comrade Dan, um, always says, you know, cause sometimes you go through the day and you think, I don't know. I don't know if I did that right or if I said the right thing or did I miss an opportunity? And, um, he always says, just let them know that God loves them. That's, that's your goal, right? Mm-hmm. And that proclamation of absolution for and confession is the best way to do that. Yeah. the whole package right here it is uh-huh. don't argue <laughs> yeah really and i think the the beautiful thing that i usually have to also tuck in when i when i talk about private confession absolution is it's not the mobster going to confession before before his you know mur- bumping somebody off and it's not sitting there you know with a screen between you like a you know in the confessional booth and then the guy on the other side side says go do these five or ten things and then you'll be forgiven um, that biblically and in Lutheran, Lutheran church, obviously the biblical Lutheran church, um, the focus is on getting to that absolution to be able to announce to somebody else, um, my deepest shame, what I most want to hide and to hear from this person as from God himself, that your sin has been forgiven. Mm-hmm. And just that, that value of it is just pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
And then I guess uh, one more thing before we kind of start wrapping up here. Um, previously, you had mentioned um, about 20 minutes back, I guess, <laughs> um, that maybe sleep disturbances might be a, a big red flag. And um, and the, the only image that came to my mind was walking into Costco last week, and here's a gigantic pallet of melatonin. It is flying uh, off the shelves, too. Yeah, I believe it. Uh Um, what, you know, from, from your personal experience or just, you know, phone call volume or something like that. Um, what I guess as a culture or as a, as a country, as a people, where are we at with the slow ongoing mental health crisis that was 2020 now dragging into 2021? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for our work? you know, clinically on your side or, um, together with the church. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'll back that up to what was happening literally March 12th, um, 2020. I can't even keep track of the year lately. Um, (laughs) 2020, right. Um, last year, March 12th, I was at a conference talking about, um, teenagers and what we know about the anxiety epidemic of teenagers born after 1994, um, or young adults now. So 25 and under. Um, and, and it's interesting because they actually have three strikes against them. Have you read this know. book? No, I haven't, but the, I, I've read like about generation Z and I've read about, you know, some of that stuff, which is kind of this, this time frame. Yeah. but now you're talking an anxiety epidemic of, you know, basically Okay. 1994 and later. Um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a book I got to read, but yeah, what, what, I, you what know what? The I'll book get the book before we on? wrap up and tell you what it is. It's a, a very, very long title. Um, if I could find it quick, I will. Um, but, but essentially Dr. Twenge was the, the person behind the research and she did a lot of longitudinal research from all over the world. And what she was developing and what we were talking about was, um, this the culture of anxiety that that young adults and and teenagers grew up in and three basic elements of that. Um, first of all, they are um, essentially the 9-11 post 9-11 generation. Um, so they were mostly in preschool or kindergarten at the time that occurred and younger. Um, so they, they have no real concept of the fact that um, there weren't metal detectors in high schools and there weren't TSA lines and there weren't, um, they don't know any of that, right? They, it was always that way. Um, and so we, we think about kind of what those extra things were. I remember I traveled to DC the year after nine 11 and, um, the see something, say something, um, messages that would play over and over and over again on the subway. Like I'm looking around trying to see if there's a bag unattended because it's telling me I have to, if I say, see something, I got to say, right. That never used to happen. Right. So the messaging has been constant through their lives. Second thing that happened in their lifetime was the um, recession of 2008. Mm-hmm. So some of them are old enough then to understand the panic that ensued financially in their families. Um, and so they have this um, kind of embedded fear of growing up, of adulting, as they say. Um, this is sort of the first generation who is panicked, uh-huh. um, who doesn't want to move out of their home or more and more live with their siblings as adults, which is super fascinating to me. I, I have a brother, bless him, love him. <laughs> Certainly did not want to live with him. That never would have crossed my mind. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing was they are all now um, 
post smartphone. So when the first group of them were sophomores is when the first smartphone apps started to smart smartphones used to come out. Um, and so they are particularly wired for comparison. Um, their entire lives has, they have spent online comparing themselves to others in millions of ways we're not even aware of. Um, I only compared myself to somebody, some girl who had a new pair of jeans at the football game, right? Like mm-hmm. I did not look at that picture 7,000 times and see how many likes she got as opposed to mine. And, you know, it, it's just ex- exponential, right? Um, so the anxiety epidemic was already here. Mm-hmm. The, the question now will be, um, how does that translate? Now, I'm trying to look at it from the most positive standpoint and say, I think this has turned it on its head a little bit in that we have some ability to understand contentment um, that we may have taught some of ourselves that pace of life does not need to be what it was. Um, there might be, you know, some good ability to uh, live on less. So there's, there's, I think good things. Um, and most of all, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that there will be kind of this outpouring of eventual confidence. Like, okay, if we made it through that, I guess we can make it through a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so lots to unpack there, but, um, yeah. on the, on the dark side, I guess, you know, what I am seeing is, especially in, um, older adults, this has been a very anxiety provoking time. If, if they don't have, um, let's say some solid faith to say, God's got it. Um, the anxiety goes through the roof because it doesn't look like anybody's got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, I mean, sociologically it's, it's fascinating. Um, like if you think about the different generations who are, we basically, <laughs> I was assigned a paper at our conference, pastor's conference in October, 2019. And the topic of the paper was five generational ministry to five generations, basically multi-generational ministry, whatever it was. And, um, and I pulled up this, this relatively recent tweet from Tim Keller where he said, what's the biggest challenge facing the church today? It's worshiping with five generations in one worship service. And then in November of 2019, somebody in Wuhan got sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, but it, it kind of brings together the, that the technology we have today makes things, you know, known worldwide and makes them persist before our eyes a lot more vividly and a lot longer than if it were simply a memory. Um, but then the flip side, you know, kind of the story throughout history, <laughs> this, is, this is, I mean, kind of geeking out here, the story about history, you rewind to somebody who was born in 1900. They lived through the first world war, the Spanish flu, the stock market crash, the great depression. They're 40 years old when mm-hmm. the U S basically gets into Pearl Harbor or is attacked at Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And by the time they're thinking about you know, retirement, um, the U.S. is mired in Vietnam and just all the, the turmoil there. And what do we call them? Well, we depressed the greatest generation, the greatest generation. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, thinking, looking backward, um, like the, the parenting and the relationship. And this would be, you know, like a topic for an ent- entirely other podcast. Um, but the alcohol use and just the basic coping of, in, in ways that were not healthy at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think what you're saying here is that 
if we recognize these things and see the difference between what we feel about something as opposed to the objective reality of a fact, that that will be helpful in even helping our children understand how to parse these things. Yeah. And, and to choose the right skill to get through them. Right. Um, yeah, what do you to, mean by that? To really say if, if there's something really difficult going on in my life, I need to understand the difference between just getting through it, coping, right. And, and what those healthy ways are. And there's a lot of them, um, versus trying to solve a problem. Um, because I think sometimes where we get that introspection and mental health challenges sometimes is trying to problem solve things that are not solvable. Um, and so we'll use that. We'll, we'll think, um, problem solving is the skill when in reality acceptance or, or crisis survival is the skill, right? Like if I have an adult child who's not doing well, um, they have all the tools they need, um, for whatever reason, just not making it happen and they're miserable. Um, I can lay awake for hours trying to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Problem is it's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm problem solving on something that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Right. What I really need to be doing is surviving and, and coping, which is, okay, I will check in on them. I'll have boundaries about it. Um, I'll pray hard, worry less and, and all the things that will get me through it, but I can't solve that problem. And yeah. a lot of the mental health turmoil is because I'm, I'm trying to solve an unsolvable problem. That's, that's fascinating. And that, uh, that actually ties in with, um, where our daily Bob reading started at this mm-hmm. podcast back in the beginning of January already, um, was the book of Ecclesiastes where we talked primarily, <laughs> and, you know, some of the, some of the take homes from it, primarily talking about, um, our circle of influence versus our circle of concern and, um, mm. paying attention to our, our present vocation rather than, and, and responsibility rather than wishing it away or wishing and waiting for that other thing that could be coming, you know, getting nice. away from everything. Yeah. Um, if I can, I think that was like Ecclesiastes, uh, three, four, five. Maybe yeah. I'll find that for the show That's notes. That's interesting. As well. All right. That brings us, we're bumping up against an hour here already. Yeah. I want to thank so much for your time. And, um, this has been My fantastic. Privilege. And, um, if somebody, if somebody has concerns about, you know, their own mental health, um, or they want to, they want to know more, um, and, and talk with, uh, mm-hmm. talk with a therapist. Um, how do we go about that? I know that we've got the, the map program here. I've talked with, um, talked with Dan a lot about it, mm-hmm. but I was wondering if you could speak about, you know, where does somebody go from here? If they're yeah. saying, you know, Karen, what you're saying sounds very familiar in my life. Yeah. Yep. So from, from Christian Family Solutions, um, lots of easy ways you can pop right out to wlcfs.org and, um, there's an inquiry section right at the top. There's a little button, um, that says, Hey, I, I'm, I'm interested in services. Um, there's a great 800 number to give a call. So that's 800-438-1772. Uh, that phone is answered 24 hours a day. So whether it's our staff or our answering service, um, they will go through and assess what's happening and see if there's an emergent need. And if not, go ahead and schedule somebody. Um, and then there's, again? it's 1-800-438-1772. All right. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Well, fantastic. Yeah. And then I got to find you that book. Yep. I just really want to find it. I'm going to wander <laughs> over here. I know where it is. I just have to. 
you know how it is. I see you have a few books. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of, they're kind of like friends that I take with me in boxes, which sounds really creepy <laughs> if you don't know you're talking about books. Friends in boxes. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this so, is the book I was referring to. I'll give you it. This is why I don't give you the title because it's enormously long. Oh um, my goodness. But Jean Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E. And the, t- the title title is iGen, but then the, the long title, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood and what that means for the rest of us. Oh my goodness. That sounds, <laughs> yeah, kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, but, yeah. but I think most of the contact that I've seen of, of describing exactly what that title says, um, is, you know, for better or for worse, done in a somewhat sarcastic or cynical yeah. or humorous bent of, oh, when I was your age, you know, I was doing this and I could do that. And why is it that kids mm-hmm. today can't even write in cursive? Right. And right. oh my, there's, yeah, there's a lot more to unpack there. There's a <laughs> lot. Yeah. I take that and I take, there's um a piece I do sometimes in um educator circles around that, which was the piece I was talking about from March. Um, and kind of taking the seven takeaways from that book that seem pretty negative and applying them. So like if they're super connected, then you need to have really good social media. They'll mm-hmm. respond to that. Right. Um, so, so what is it that we have to play to in order to, to get to them? Essentially? Yeah. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Could so talk much. to you forever, Pastor. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds um, and there. I want to say, um, if you're listening to this podcast, if you have any questions, or uh, we could, um, you know, contact the podcast at raisewithjesus.com/slash/podcast or rwjpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, and we could schedule a follow up interview with Karen on any of the topics and questions, especially specific questions that you might have. Um, not getting into clinical details, but um, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more points are practical for your own life. Um, so I want to thank you, Karen, for your time today. And did you have any closing comments or encouragements for our listeners today? Yeah, um, just encourage, you know, understand too that um, we're all on a mental health continuum all the time. And um, whether whether that's a clinical diagnosis or not, um, we're connected to each other and we have opportunity just to reach other in those down times, whether they're clinical in nature or not. And really the way to do that is just to share love. Um, so if you start with that, I don't, I don't think you can go wrong. Once again, that was Karen Fisher with Christian Family Solutions and just a fantastic interview. Obviously very knowledgeable about the topic and very experienced in the clinical treatment of clinical depression, as well as understanding um, about the interplay between spiritual reality and our emotions that often get manipulated by um, by whatever we happen to be feeling at that moment. And if you have any questions or want to follow up with Christian Family Solutions, check out the show notes. We've got their website there and they have a fantastic website site. Um, if you want to talk to somebody or need to talk to somebody, um, there's a number of different options. Well, that's the last of the audio that we have for this um, interview with Karen Fisher. Of course, there's lots of information on our show notes as far as which website to go to and the resource that they mentioned. So I hope you enjoyed, appreciated this podcast on depression and the hopefully that you would utilize the tools that are available to you that were talked about in this podcast. Until next time, our lives, 
are always lived freely in Christ. Our real life is found in Christ. Our faith, which is alive, is found in Christ. Our faith is lived in Christ. Thank you.